The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I prove, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his pride. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. That is by far the best wrestling promo. Uh, I, I challenge you to find a better one, and I'm sure that you could. Uh, and Miley Cyrus can sing, so that's your transition music uh, for this podcast this week. Uh, I'm doing a personal segment again. We'll do sports, and then I read an article that takes over 40 minutes to read. So turn this shit off now, but I think it's one of the most important articles that, not important, but interesting articles uh, that I've read, and so I took the time to read it out loud and if uh, I don't think you're going to take 40 minutes out of your day to read so just listen to I guess to the end of the podcast uh, and that being said Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass Galatians 416 says you will not lose weight unless your diet has a caloric deficit so there you go reps for Jesus uh, yeah I've been running my ass off and what is it I just want to apologize for my run cast. I, I ran a marathon or a half marathon yesterday, 13.2 or 13.19 is what I what I tracked, and I, I put in my half marathon podcast. I'm not going to apologize for that one. That's not that bad. I, I think it's probably a six or a seven. It's got some low points, but overall pretty decent. But my run cast is fucking horrible. At least a three out of ten, maybe a two out of ten. I wanted to hang myself. I was running like mile 10, mile 11, and I'd switched from... Uh, the half marathon run cast over to my run cast and it starts off pretty good but then it gets into this just fucking horrific like 40 minute stretch and I'm, I was waiting for the boss thing from Final Fantasy because I'd ran fucking sub 8 on mile 7 man I'm a retard and then uh, I was running mile 10 and I saw a playground over to the left and I just wanted to fucking walk up to a swing wrap it around my neck and start swinging back and forth it's fucking brutal. So I apologize for that runcast. I will get rid of it. I'm going to do a marathon podcast uh, six hours deep uh, with a bunch of uh, nice little run songs and get that together. That's what I'll do. Um, listen to some interviews this week. 
uh, which was nice. Uh, Pitbull, like I clown that guy all the time as far as like his musical aptitude or whatever, but he's pretty insightful when it comes from, uh, like I really appreciated the interview that I'd listened to on Pitbull. I never thought I would say that. He, uh, Cuban immigrant, uh, came to Miami and just, you know, lived the American dream, and he's sounding the alarm or signals of uh, whatever we're, basically the same shit I've been doing on this podcast for the last year um, or six months. Uh, he, uh, yeah, so that was a great interview. Uh, listen to Michael Cohen about the Trump thing. I thought it was okay uh, what he did. He was like his fixer. He really didn't say anything too relevatory. Uh, they tried to drag it. Like, I mean, he was being honest about what was going on, and uh, when he was going through his little shit, the Democrats were trying to get him to, you know, admit something on Trump, and he just would not, you know, the liar that could not tell a lie. And so he wouldn't go there. And then, so he's basically, that was an interesting interview. And then uh, Brett Favre. So apparently he got spun up. I, I listened to an interview about him. Didn't think anything controversial of it. And then apparently he did another interview. And then fucking ESPN and everybody, they got, they took like one morsel of a conversation and then uh, went all fucking nuts about it. So this is what Brett Favre said at a, with a mentee or some other person that he got interviewed by. This is what he said about Deshaun Watson. And yeah, I get to talk about it because I'm a Houston Texans fan. So here we go. So here's Brett Favre. Yeah, well, you know what? It's a different different day and time. You know, it's not that long ago in some respects, but in others, it's like years ago when I entered the league. And it was almost unheard of for a player to demand basically anything. John Elway did it when he said he, he would not go play with, I think it was uh, Baltimore or the uh, Indianapolis Colts at the time said he would go play Major League Baseball until you know something happened and he ended up going to Denver. But other than that, I really don't remember. Uh, maybe Philip Rivers and and, and Eli's situation where one said he wouldn't play here and one ended up there and the other one ended up I guess where he wanted to. I'm kind of old school. I think you, you know you you play you get you get paid a ton of money to do a certain job and just do it and and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, I think we make too much money to voice an opinion, but I'm not saying he's wrong. I, I, again, I think it's a different day and time, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the organization handles it. I'm not quite so sure what's so crazy about that. Um, it's one man's opinion, so why the fuck do you care? I guess because you need an hour of time to fill. So there you go. Uh, Watson requesting a trade out of Houston. Totally fine to do that. Do it. Um, if he doesn't want to play, he doesn't need to get paid his $30 million. If he wants to trade, let him get traded. If he wants to speak out about whatever, let him do it. If it violates team rules, don't pay them a guy. Like, you have him under contract for four years for $156 million. Fucking do it. Um, there was an article. I guess I'll read that one because you're going to get plenty of reading from me this fucking podcast. So, uh, Watson requested a trade from the Houston Texans after the organization failed to include his input on a prospective candidate during the team's research for a new general manager and head coach. I don't care. Like, Watson, whether what was not promised or promised, if it's not in his contract, it doesn't fucking matter, but he can still be pissed about that and not want to stay as part of the team. That's totally his option. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre, who retired, unretired and demanded a trade, uh, gave a viewpoint on Watson's trade request. He believes Watson should let things work out on his own with the Texans versus forcing a trade. And he, he admitted the fact that his, the times were different and everything, so I don't see what the problem is. 
Uh, Watson signed a four-year, $156 million contract extension with the Texans in September, putting him under the contract through the 2025 season. He has no trade clause on his contract, meaning he must waive it before he can officially be traded to any team that allows him to control his own destiny. The irony here is that Favre's forecast his way into Green Bay. Like, I don't care. Uh, briefly retiring to convince the Packers to get rid of him. Once in retirement, he decided he wanted to play for a team besides the Packers, unretiring and then showing up before forcing a trade. So why doesn't Watson retire and give up his $156 million? How about that? Uh, the Packers then sent Favre to New York, where he played one season before his final two years with the Vikings. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see the problem at all with what Favre said or what's going down. So what needs to happen is the Houston Texans need to get 6,000 first draft. If they're going to trade Watson, they need 6,000 first-round draft picks and restart everything because Bill O'Brien screwed that team over by selling basically their souls upriver, getting rid of Hopkins, uh, Watts over the hill, so they can get they need to get anything they can out of him. They got rid of Clowney to Seattle and got robbed on that trade. Uh, they've just been robbed, robbed, robbed. Bill O'Brien put them in a bad spot, so they need to recoup some of this. If Watson is unhappy and he doesn't want to play, they can either, you know, Start the second person. Like, that's what they need to do. If, if he wants to trade, try to get 6,000 first-round picks for him and restart and just restart the fan franchise. That's kind of where you're at now uh, with that team. Uh, running my ass off, like I said, did uh, 100 miles in January and 33 the first week of Feb. So, awesome. I got uh, 25 miles lined up this, this week and 27 lined up the following week. And I think about... I don't know. It should get me over 100 uh, for week three, but it, it escapes me uh, for the last week of February. Uh, you cannot outrun a bad diet, and I'm suffering through that now, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, and then masking stupidity. Uh, I don't know. This fucking stupid. If you wear a mask outdoors, you're a fucking retard. If uh, you sit at your desk and wear a mask, you're a retard. Um, unless you're just a high-risk individual, then stay away from people. It's that simple. Masks are what? 30% effective unless you put cellophane over your face and you can't breathe and you die. Uh, good for you. Then it's 100% effective. Great. But we don't seem to understand that the cure cannot be worse than the disease. And, uh, yeah, we've gone fucking insane. So, uh, the big story of the week that I did last week and the, the uh, name of the title, uh, the hedge funds came back and got revenge on all the little uh, robateers or whatever it is, those poor bastards. Uh, I think, what is it, GameStop? Market Watch. Uh, GameStop is down fucking back uh, to sub-70 levels. Got all the way up to 400. Uh, somebody said 500 presale. Got all the way up to that level, and now it's back down to 70. So the hedge funds cried, Uncle, got Robin Hood to stop. And it, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Of the, in the middle. Yes, it's fucked up that that occurred. And that uh, people are coming in to save hedge funds, but then Robinhood is a free trading app, right? So there's no such thing as a as a free lunch. Uh, Robinhood uh, hedge funds were backing that app, and they had to be making money based on the information that Robinhood was providing, and then the fact that they were willing to buy the trades that were occurring on Robinhood. Once it didn't work out in their favor, they shut it down, and then free became not free because it started to cost them money. So you don't get free anymore. And then uh, some would argue that it saved some people money because they weren't able to get in or get out. But that's not America, so go fuck yourself. Uh, what is it? 
uh, teachers unions. I think that's my last bitch of the thing. I, I just read an, an insane article. Uh, teachers unions, they are hilarious. Uh, some of them are, what are they doing? They're holding out for the vaccine. But in Oregon, uh, the teachers unions did exactly that. So they were put in the front of the line. They all got the vaccine. And then uh, they said, no, we're still not going to fucking work. So uh, this whole school bullshit that's going in. And then also Miss Saki uh, came up and said that, uh, what was it? Even if you get the vaccine, that you don't have to mask and social distance. Or you, you, need, you still need a mask and social distance. Even if you get the vaccine, go fuck yourself. Um, that's the only reason to get the vaccine is to try to return to some semblance of a normal life if you buy into that bullshit. But they've taken an inch, a mile, fucking 10 meters, a thousand meters, and they're never going to give it back. When are you going to say no? Like, at what point? I, I think I've chosen I've chosen two two red lines already, and I'm, I work in the military, right? And I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm about to tell people to go fuck themselves or write it down themselves. Like, I want to see the hilarity of them writing them down saying, because I'm not wearing a desk at my mask, I'm in trouble, like, for not following an order. You can go fuck yourself. Jesus, I can't even believe I just fucking said that. So, all right. Uh, ba, 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 ba. That's not even a personal segment. That's like a personal news segment. We'll do sports, and then I'm going to read the weirdest article you're ever going to read for about 40 minutes. That's the podcast. It really is. So, enjoy. Brought to you by Stella Artois. Uh, yeah. Sports. Super Bowl 55, or LV, for those not in the Romanian numerals now. Uh, Chiefs versus the Bucks. Chiefs a three-point favorite. I would take the Chiefs in the under. I think the score is going to be like 38-17. to That um, it is what it is. We shall see. So Chiefs in the under. Chiefs, or sorry, Bucks getting three. I'll take the Chiefs in the under. For National Basketball Association... Standings. Let's go. The UFC fights. I'll get on those. Over him, get crushed. Uh, uh, Philadelphia game and a half over the Bucks at seventeen and seven. Boston, Brooklyn, Indiana, Atlanta, New York, and Toronto tied with Charlotte at ten and three, and then Detroit at five and eighteen at the bottom. In the Western Conference, it's the Jazz at eighteen and five. Leading the Lakers, half game over them with Clippers, Phoenix, San Antonio, Denver, Portland, and Golden State. Rounding it out, Golden State at 12 and 11 with Minnesota at 6 and 17 at the very bottom. Uh, NCAA men's, nobody cares. MMA, sure, let's do that one. Like I said, Overeem got crushed. Um, Sandhagen, I guess, knocked somebody into tomorrow with a uh, what is it? Knockout of the year candidate. Uh, Volkov played his Overeem. Had a one-sided TKO win. A scar is not medically cleared. His UFC debut will be delayed. Cerrone and Sanchez are going to fight on May 8th. Somebody tested positive. Their fight is delayed. Who is it? Uh, Corey Sandhagen destroys uh, Frankie Edgar. So, sorry to hear that guy. And then, let's go with schedule. Uh, UFC... What is it? 258. 
Usman versus Burns is next on February the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Let's go with NHL. Because I don't think that, uh, what is it? Baseball has started yet. NCAA is supposed to start February-ish, but we don't know. NHL, NHL, NHL. The reason why I have to dance around these things is because I'm not going to prepare it and lead that way. Did Dallas finally lose a game? Yes, they did. Uh, Tampa, Florida, and the Blue Jackets at top three on the Central. Dallas is at 5-2-1 uh, and one with 11 points. They've only played eight. Um, Tampa crushing it. They played nine. They're 7-1. Seven 7-1-1. And one. Seven, one and one. Uh, Florida is 6-0-2. Oh, uh, In the East, Boston, Philly, and Washington hold the top three spots. In the North, it's Toronto, Montreal, and Winnipeg. And in the West, it's Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. Uh, 19 points for the Maple Leafs. That seems to be leading the uh, NHL. And they have played 12 games. They are 9-2-1. So go Maple Leafs. That is your sport rapport, as awesome as it was. I really have nothing else uh, that I can remember and or care to remind you of. All right, go ahead. coming up next, one of the most interesting articles that I've read, so please turn the podcast off now because I'm literally, it's literally just Miley Cyrus transition music and reading an article for the next 40 minutes. And then there's outro, so if you want to skip to the very end, you can listen to outro music and enjoy that. So uh, see you next week, folks, unless you want to sit and listen to the this article. Read it yourself. I implore you, read it. If you don't listen to the next 40 minutes, go read this article. Times, I forget the title of it. Uh, I'll lead off with the next title, so listen to it and then go fucking read it yourself. Enjoy. This isn't the most na-na-na-boo-boo article in the world. Uh, from the Times, I'm sure you've seen it on social media or Facebook, and this podcast is all about it. So I'm just going to read this article. Um, if you haven't taken time to read it, listen to the next 10 to 15 minutes or however long it takes to read this article, and enjoy. Uh, the article is titled, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. A weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girdling for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voted concerned about violence. Instead, the eerie quiet descended as President Trump refused to concede. The response was not mass action but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged critics across the United States to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede to the president something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. 
There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protest and coordinated the resistance from CEOs, both surprises, were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The fact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see as sort of an implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protest in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. Okay. The handshake between businesses and labor was just one component of the vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to the winning the vote, but to ensuring that it would be free and fair. Okay. Credible and uncorrupted. Okay. Uh, for more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Okay. Uh, through much of the activity took place on the left, it was a separate from Biden's campaign, I doubt it, and crossed ideological lines. Well, separate in the sense that it doesn't matter which Democrat was up and running who won, right? If it was Sanders, they would have done the same thing. If it was Harris, they would have done the same thing. Uh, with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors, the scenario and shadow campaigners were desperate to stop what was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all, a future of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been the hallmark of America since its founding. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws to help secure hundreds of millions of in-public and private funding. That's the uh, Facebook Zuckerberg uh, reaching out directly to uh, states, voting officials, and judges and saying, hey, or basically uh, Democratic campaigns saying, hey, you need to get X amount of people, and if you don't, we'll pull your funds. Uh, that's, that's one of the many. Uh, they fended up voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks. I heard that one on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, preventing Trump's uh, conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. Uh, what I mean by that Joe Rogan podcast, there was an individual on the podcast that basically said to a T what was going to happen. Trump was going to come out and leading, things were going to stop, they, this was going to happen, and then Biden was going to take over because all the uh, other voting was going to come in. Uh, so that was a messaging campaign. All right. After Election Day, they monitored every uh, pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. The untold story of the election is that thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation, says Norm Eason, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to board uh, the voter protection program. For Trump and his allies were running their own campaign to spoil the election, the Trump, <laughs> okay, uh, the president spent months insisting that mail-in ballots were a Democratic plot and the election would be quote-unquote rigged. His henchmen at the state level brought, Jesus Christ, uh, sought to block their use while the lawyers brought dozens of spurious suits to make it more difficult to vote in an intensification of the GOP's legacy of suppressive tactics. All but like a few of those suits were dismissed on Article Three standing, which means they weren't even tried on the merits. They were just saying, we're not going to do this. Before the election, Trump plotted to block a legitimate vote count, and he spent the months following November 3rd trying to steal the election he'd lost with lawsuits and conspiracy theories, pressure on state and local officials, and finally summoning his army of supporters to the January 6th rally that ended in a deadly violence at the Capitol. Jesus Christ. The democracy campaigners watched with alarm. Every week we felt like we were in a struggle to try and pull it off the election without the country going through a real dangerous moment of unraveling, says former GOP Representative Zach Womp. 
a Trump supporter who helped coordinate the Bipartisan Election Protection Council. We can look back and say this thing went pretty well, but it was not all clear in September and October that it was going to be the case. This is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election based on access to the group's inner workings, never-before-seen documents and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum. It is a story of an unprecedented, creative, and determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster. Every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Basin, co-founder of the Project Democracy, a nonpartisan rule of law and advocacy group. But it's massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. The system didn't work magically. Democracy is now self-executing. That is an amazing statement. That is an extremely amazing statement. Uh, that's why the participants went to the secret history of the 2020 election, told even through the sounds like the paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. Wow. This is a fucking article that is published in, in the Times Magazine, just out and out. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility, like white fragility, in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. So do what we want or nothing happens? Like, I, that, uh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, the Architect. Sometime in the fall of 2019, Mark Fordzer, P-O-D-H-O-R-Z-E-R, became convinced the election was headed for disaster and determined to protect it. This is not the usual purview for nearly a quarter century. Fordhoser, Podhoser, Pardhoser, uh, senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation, has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its favorite candidates win elections. Unassuming, and, well, let's read that again has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its favored candidates win elections. How can you parse that with what you said previously where, well, we don't care who wins. And like I said, that's true in the sense that if a Democrat won, they wouldn't care who won. Unassuming a professional, he isn't the sort of hair jail political strategist who shows up on cable news among Democratic insiders. He's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in recent decades. A group of little uh, liberal strategists he bought he brought together in the early 2000s, led to the creation of the Analyst Institute, a secretive firm that applies scientific methods to political campaigns. He was also involved in the founding of a catalyst, the flagship progressive data company. Uh, the analyst chatter in Washington about political strategy, Pod Hoiser, believes he has little to do with how change, real, change really gets made. My basic take on politics is that it's all pretty obvious. If you don't overthink it or swallow the prevailing framework whole, he once wrote, after that, just relentlessly identify your assumptions and challenge them. Podhorzer applies that approach to everything. When he coached his now adult son's little league team in the D.C. suburbs, he trained the boys not to swing at most pitches, a tactic that infuriated both their and, and their parents' opponents, but won the steam, a, a team a series championships. Like, thanks. Uh, Trump's election in 2016, credited in part by his unusual strength among the sort of blue-collar white voters who once dominated the AFL-CIO, prompted Podhorzer questions assumptions about voter behavior. He began circulating weekly number-crunching memos to a small circle of allies and hosting strategy sessions in D.C., but when he began to worry about the election itself, he didn't want it to seem paranoid. It was only after months of research he introduced his concerns to the newsletter in October 2019. The usual tools of data, analytics, and polling would not be sufficient in a situation where the president himself was trying to disrupt the elections, he wrote. Most of our planning takes us through election day, he noted, but we're not... Oh, interesting. Uh... Yeah, and the, so most of our planning takes us through Election Day, which is correct. 
Uh, I don't think there will be a red president for quite some time until they unfuck the voting system. Uh, and that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. They really can't do much for the House because there's, it's too wide a, uh, a, uh, too wide a berth. But the Senate races, they've proven in Georgia that they can do that because Senate races are from this state, uh, so they can still win a plural, or popular vote, right? They can get it to 50 or 51 percent. So they can't really do it to the House. They can do it to the Senate, and they can obviously do it to the uh, elector, electorate. So any purple state, you're going to see this in the, in the metropolitan suburbs, that they're just going to run like they did in Milwaukee, uh, Madison, Atlanta, uh, what was it, uh, Vegas, Arizona, Phoenix, sorry, Maricopa County. Uh, he noted, but we are not prepared for the two most likely outcomes, Trump losing and refusing to concede and Trump winning the Electoral College despite losing the popular vote by corrupting the voting process in key states. We desperately need to systematically red team this election so that we can anticipate and plan for the worst we know will be coming our way. It turned out Podhorzer wasn't the only one thinking in these terms. He began to hear from others eager to join forces uh, the Fight Back Table, a coalition of resistance organizations, quote-unquote, that had begun scenario planning around the potential for a contested election. We had heard about this, uh, gathering liberal activists in a local and national level into what they called the Democracy Defense Coalition. They were wargaming the election, essentially, and they did this in 2019, so he's talking about this. Voting rights and civil rights organizations were raising alarms. A group of former elected officials was researching emergency powers they feared Trump might exploit. Protect Democracy was assembling, which he did not. Uh, bipartisan election crisis task force. It turned out that once you said it out loud, people agreed, Podhorzer says, and it's starting building momentum. He spent months pondering scenarios, talking to experts. It wasn't hard to find liberals who saw Trump as a dangerous dictator, but Podhorzer was careful to steer clear of the hysteria. What he wanted to know was not how American democracy was dying, but how it might keep alive. The chief indifference between the U.S. and the countries that lost their grip on democracy, he concluded, was that America's decentralized election system couldn't be rigged in one fell swoop. They presented an opportunity to shore it up. Holy shit. All right, uh, take a little break, and then we'll get into the subchapter of The Alliance. All right, the alliance. On March 3rd, we'll just call him Mr. P. It's Pod Horzer, P-O-D-H-O-R-Z-E-R, Mr. P from now on, drafted a three-page confidential memo titled Threats to the 2020 Election. Trump has made it clear that this will not be a fair election and that he will reject anything but his own re-election as fake and rigged. He wrote on November 3rd, should the media report otherwise, yep, I heard about this one, uh, he will use the right-wing information system to establish his narrative and incite the supporters to protest. Okay, well, he predicted that one. Uh, well, did he incite his supporters to protest? Uh, debatable. <clears throat> and as we have stated, or as I have stated, if he incited his supporters to protest, then there's about 25 Democrats that need to be uh, impeached as well. Uh, the memo laid out four categories of challenges, attacks on voters, attacks on election administration, attacks on Trump's political opponents, and efforts to reverse the results of election. Then COVID-19 er erupted at the height of the primary election season. Normal methods of voting were no longer safe for voters. That's fucking lie. Uh, or the mostly elderly volunteers. There you go. Elderly people, sure, uh, who normally staff polling places. But political disagreements intensified by Trump's crusade against mail voting 
which obviously we know why that, uh, well, you know why now that uh, mail voting is bullshit, uh, prevented some states from making it easier to vote absentee and for jurisdictions to count those votes in a timely manner. Chaos ensued. Ohio shut down in-person voting for its primary leading to a minuscule turnout, a poll worker shortage in Milwaukee, where Wisconsin's heavily Democratic black population is concentrated, left just five open polling places down from 182 in New York. Uh, vote counting took more than a month. Suddenly, the potential for a November meltdown was obvious. In his uh, apartment in the D.C. suburbs, Mr. P. began working from his laptop to the kitchen table, holding back-to-back Zoom meetings for hours at a day with a network of contracts across the progressive universe. The labor movement, the institutional... Le- this guy's fucking... If this guy was on the right working for Trump, he would be like the, the biggest uh, threat to democracy ever. But now he's, a, he's an institutional hero because it worked out in their favor. Uh, the, the, like, uh, the labor movement, the institutional left like Planned Parenthood and Greenpeace, resistant groups like Indivisible and Move On, progressive data geeks and strategists, representatives of donors and foundations, state-level grassroots organizations, uh, racial justice activists, and others. In April, Podhorzer began hosting a weekly two-and-a-half-hour Zoom. It was structured around the series of rapid-fire uh, rapid five-minute presentations on everything from which ads were working to messaging to legal strategy. The invitation-only gathering soon attracted hundreds, creating a rare shared base of knowledge for the fractious progressive movement. At the risk of talking trash about the left, there's not a good, lot of good information sharing, says Anat Shinkur Osorio, a close Mr. P friend whose poll-tested messaging guidance shaped the group's approach. There's a lot of not incentivized here, sweaty to keep fucking Biden in the basement. There's not a lot of invented here syndrome that people won't consider it a good idea unless they didn't come up with it. The meetings became the galactic center for the constellation of operatives across the left who shared overlapping goals, but didn't usually work in concert. The group had no name, no leaders, and no hierarchy, but it kept the disparate actors in sync. Pod played a critical behind-the-scenes role in keeping different pieces in the movement infrastructures of communication aligned, says Maurice Mitchell, national director of the Working Families Party. I think, all right. Uh, you have the litigation space, the organizing space, the political people just focused on the W, and their strategies aren't always aligned. The this allowed ecosystem to work together. This allowed the ecosystem to work together. Protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and nation state houses. It grew energy from the summer racial justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance, and eventually it reached across the aisle into the world of Trump's, well, uh, the Lincoln Project, right? Trump's skeptical Republicans applaud Biden's attacks on democracy, securing the vote. The first task was overhauling America's bulky election infrastructure in the middle of a pandemic. For the thousands of local, mostly nonpartisan officials who administer elections, the most urgent need was money. They needed protective equipment like masks, gloves, and hand sanitizer. They needed to pay for postcards letting people know they could vote absentee or in some places to mail ballots to every voter. They intended additional staff and scanners to protect ballots. In March, activists appealed to Congress to steal co- steer COVID relief fund money to election administration, led by the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. More than 150 organizations signed a letter to every member of Congress seeking $2 billion in election funding. It was somewhat successful. The CARES Act, passed later that month, contained $400 million in grants to the state election administrators, administration, administrators. Sorry, But the next tranche of relief funding was it didn't add to that number. It wasn't going to be enough. Private philanthropy stepped into breach. An assortment of foundations contributed to tens of millions of election administrative funding. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, that's what I was talking about earlier, chipped in $300 million. It was a failure, but these were grant-specific. Like, you had to go, you had to support, and this was all run in Democratic areas. None of it was Republican. So of the $300 million of this money, probably 
95% of it went to blue areas. None of it went to red. So it wasn't about the vote. It was about the vote, the blue vote. So this neutral fucking democracy type uh, bullshit that the Times is peddling is, is garbage. Uh, it was failure at the federal level that 2,500 local election officials were forced to apply in a philip uh, philip philanthropic grants to fill their needs, said Ambers McReynolds, a former Denver election official who has the nonpartisan national vote at Home Institute. McReynolds' two-year-old organization became a clearinghouse for national struggling, nations struggling to adapt. The institute gave secretaries of state both parties for both parties technical advice on everything from which vendors to use to how to locate drop boxes. Local officials are the most trusted sources on election information, but few can afford uh, a press secretary. So the Institute distributed communication tool kits. Uh, like I said, I dispute or I, I don't think it's a 50-50 from both. Uh, by the term, both officials or from both parties, they probably mean 99 groups in the blue, one in the red, just because they existed there. Uh, in the presentation, Mr. P's group, McReynolds, detailed the importance of absentee ballots for shortening lines at polling places and preventing an election crisis. The Institute's work helped 137 states and D.C. bolster mail voting, but it wouldn't be worth much worth it if much people didn't take advantage. Part of the challenge was logistical. Each state had different rules for when and how ballots should be requested and returned. The Voter Participation Center, which is a normal year, could have deployed canvassers door-to-door to get out the vote. Instead, conducted focus groups in April and May to find out would it that find out what would get people to vote by mail? In August and September, it sent ballot applications to 15 million people in key states, 4.6 million of whom returned them in mailings and digital ads. The group urged people not to wait for Election Day. All the work we had done for seven, so they mailed out 15 million ballots and got less than 33% of them back. <laughs> what happened to the other fucking 10 million ballots, guys? Uh, all the work we have done for 17 years was built into this moment of bringing democracy to people. Storsev says Tom Lopak, the center CEO. The effort had to overcome heightened skepticism in some communities. Many black voters preferred to exercise their franchise in person or didn't trust the mail. Good on them. Uh, national civil rights groups worked with local organizations to get the word out that this was by the best way to ensure one's vote was counted and counted. In Philadelphia, well, that's a lie. In Philadelphia, for example, advocates distributed voting safety kits containing masks, hand sanitizer, and informational brochures, most undoubtedly for Democrats. We had to get messages out that this was safe, reliable, and you can trust it, says Hannah Freed of the All Voting is Local. At the same time, Democratic lawyers battled historic tide of pre-election litigation. The pandemic intensified the party's usual tangling in the courts, but the lawyers noticed something else as well. The litigation brought by Trump campaign of a piece with the broader campaign to sow doubt about mail-in voting. You don't have to sow doubt about mail-in voting. It's fucking bullshit. Uh... Especially the uh, vote, the har- uh, what is it, ballot harvesting, mailing out 15 million and only getting 4.6 back, uh, was making new claims and using theories that no court had ever accepted, says Wendy Weiser, a voting rights expert at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU. They read more like lawsuits designed to send a message rather than uh, archive a legal outcome. In the end, nearly half the electorate cast ballots by mail in 2020, practically a revolution of how people vote, uh, which, yeah, which won't. Won't be overturned anytime soon. About a quarter vote early in person. Only a quarter of voters cast their ballot traditional way in person on election day. The difference, the disinformation defense. Bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. For decades, campaigns have grappled with everything from anonymous calls claiming to be election has been rescheduled to flyers spreading nasty smears about candidates' families. But Trump lies and conspiracy theories, the viral force of social media, 
and the involvement of foreign meddlers made disinformation a broader, deeper threat to the 2020 vote. <laughs> Lulls. LOL. Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative who founded or co-founded Catalyst, began studying the problem a few years ago. This is literally a celebration article. Uh, she piloted a nameless secret project, which she has never before publicly discussed, that tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. One component was tracking dangerous lies that might have otherwise spread unnoticed. Researchers then provided information to campaigners and the media to track down the sources and expose them. The most important takeaway from Quinn's research, however, was that engaging in a toxic content only made it worse. When you get attacked, the instinct is to push back, call it out, say this isn't true, Quinn says, but the more engagement something gets, the more the platform boosts it. It's true. Uh, the algorithm reads that as, oh, this is popular, people want more of it. The solution, she concluded, was to pressure platforms to enforce their rules, both by removing content and banning parlor, or accounts that spread disinformation. What disinformation is information that you don't like. Uh, and by more aggressively, it's not that it's true or false, it's just information you don't like. Uh, that more aggressively policing it in the first place. The platforms have policies against certain types of malign behavior, but they haven't been enforcing them, she says. Quinn's research gave ammunition to advocates pushing social media platforms to take harder line. In November 2019, Mark Zuckerberg invited online civil rights leaders to, to dinner at his home, where they warned him about the danger of election-related falsehoods that were already spreading unchecked. It took pushing, urging conversations, brainstorming, all of that to get the place where he ended up with the more rigorous rules and enforcement, says Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, who attended the dinner and also met with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and others. Gupta has been nominated for the Associate Attorney General by President Biden. You wouldn't think. Uh, it was a struggle, but we got to the point where they understood the problem. Was it enough? Probably not. Was it later than we wanted? Yes, but it was really important, given the level of official disinformation, like the New York Times Post, you fucktards, that they had those rules in place that were tagging things and taking them down. All right. Uh, we'll get to spreading the word after this commercial break. Spreading the word. And the word of the day is legs. Beyond battling and bad information, there was a need to explain rapidly changing election processes. It was crucial for voters to understand that despite what Trump was saying, mail-in votes weren't susceptible to fraud and that it would be normal if some states weren't finished counting votes on election night. Why is that acceptable? And incorrect. So those are both incorrect and incorrect. Well, first one's incorrect and the second one is why. Uh, Dick Gephardt, the Democratic former House leader turned high-powered lobbyist, spearheaded one coalition. He wanted to get really bipartisan group of former elected officials, cabinet secretaries, military leaders, and so on, aimed at mainly at messaging to the public, but also speaking to local officials, secretaries of state, attorney generals, governors, who would be in the eye of the storm to let them know we wanted to help, says Gephardt, who worked at the context, sorry, worked his context in the private sector to put $20 million behind the effort. Womp, the former GOP congressman, the, probably the one, uh, worked through the nonpartisan reform group issue one to rally Republicans. We thought we should, he's probably the one of the Lincoln Project guys, uh, or never Trumper. Uh, we thought that we would bring some bipartisan element to unity 
around what constitutes a free and fair election, Womp says. The 22 Democrats and 22 Republicans on the National Council of Election Integrity met on Zoom at least once a week. They ran ads in six states, made statements, wrote articles, and alerted, official, alerted local officials to potential problems. We had rabbit Trump supporters who agreed they serve in the council based on the idea that this is honest, Womp said. This is going to be just as important, he told them, to convince the liberals when Trump wins. Whichever way it cuts, we're going to stick together. Yay. The Voting Rights Lab and Info Action created state-specific memes and graphics spread by email, text, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, urging that every vote be counted. Together, they were viewed more than one billion times. Protect Democracy's election task force issued uh, reports that held media briefings with high-profile experts across the political spectrum, resulting in widespread coverage of a potential election issues and fact-checking uh, of Trump's false claims. Arr! What about Biden's false claims, you fucktards? <laughs> the organization tracking polls found the message was being heard. The percentage of the public that didn't expect to know the winner on election night gradually rose until by late October. Why is that acceptable? Um, I, I don't get, like, November 3rd, fucking everything should be announced. Everything. Like, it should be over. Just get it over with. It shouldn't take till November 7th. It's fucking stupid. Because then, then you stop counting votes at 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody trusts the goddamn system when that happens. When you shut down and then you see videos like that are going on in Georgia. Why is it okay? Why is that okay to have a vote on the 3rd and not have it over by midnight on the 3rd? I don't understand that. Uh, a majority also believe that prolonged count wasn't a sign of problems. That's bullshit. We knew exactly what Trump was going to do. He was going to try and use the fact that Democrats voted by mail and Republicans voted in person and make it look like he was ahead. Claim victory and say the mail-in votes are fraudulent and try to get them thrown out. Uh, and on his face, that's exactly what it looks like. Whether that's true or not, right, that, that's what it looks like on its face. Just by pure observation, that's what it looks like. Uh, protect democracy is basin. Uh, setting public expectations ahead of time helped undercut those lies. Sure, sure they're lies. Uh, the alliance took a common set of themes from the president's or sorry, the research Shinker Osorio presented a, a Mr. P's Zooms. Studies have shown that when people don't think their vote will count or fear casting it will be a hassle, they're far less likely to participate. Uh, throughout election season, members of Mr. P's group minimized incidents of voter intimidation and tamped down rising liberal hysteria about Trump's expected refusal to concede. They didn't want to amplify false claims by engaging them or put people off by voting, suggesting a rigged game. Uh, when you say these claims of fraud are spurious, what people hear is fraud, Shinker O, or Shinker o says. What we saw in our pre-election research is that anything that reaffirmed Trump's power or to cast him as an authoritarian diminished people's desire to vote. Mr. P, meanwhile, was warning everyone uh, he knew polls were underestimating Trump's support. The data he shared with the media organizations who would be calling the election was tremendously useful to understand what was happening as the votes rolled in. According to the member of major, our major network uh, political unit, he spoke with Podhorzer before Election Day. Most analysts had recognized there would be a blue shift in key battlegrounds. The surge of votes breaking towards Democrats given by rallies, tallies of mail-in ballots. But they hadn't comprehended how much better Trump was likely to do on Election Day. Being able to document how big the absentee wave would be at the end of variance by state by state was essential. Yes, they needed to know how many votes they needed to fucking mail in. People power. Uh, the racial justice uprising sparked by George Floyd's killing in May was not primarily a political movement. The organizer, organizers who helped lead it wanted to harness in its momentum for the election without allowing it to be co-opted by politicians. Many of those organizers were part of Mr. P's network, from the activists in battleground states who partnered with the Democratic Dif Democracy Defense Coalition 
to organizations with leading roles and movements for black lives. The best way to ensure people's voices were heard, they decided, was to protect their ability to vote. We started thinking about a program that would complement the traditional election protection area, but didn't rely on calling the police, says Nalini Stamp, the Working Families Party National uh, Organizing Director. Sounds a bit Russian. They created a force of election defenders who, unlike traditional poll workers, were trained in the de-escalation techniques during early voting and non-election day. So a bunch of blue fucking activists were poll workers. They surrounded lines of voters in urban areas with the joy to the polls effort, then turned out an active casting a ballot into a street party. Black organizers also recruited thousands of poll workers to ensure polling places would stay open in their communities, except at 3 o'clock in the morning when they needed to mail in some fucking ballots. The summer uprising had shown that people power could have a massive impact. Activists began preparing to reprise the demonstrations. If Trump tried to steal the election, American plans widespread protest to pump Trump interferes with the election. Reuters reported in October, one of many such stories, more than 150 liberal groups, from the Women's March to the Sierra Club to Color of Change, from Democrats.com to the Democratic Socialists of America, joined the Protect the Results Coalition. The group now defunct website had a map listing of 400 planned post-election demonstrations to be activated via text message as soon as November 4th to stop the coup they feared. The left was ready to flood the streets. Strange bedfellows. About a week before Election Day, Pothorzer received an unexpected message. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce wanted to talk. The FALCO and the Chamber have a long history of antagonism. Though neither organization is explicitly partisan, the influential business lobby had poured hundreds of millions of dollars into Republican campaigns, just as the nation unions funnel hundreds of millions to Democrats. On one side is labor, on the other is management, locked in an eternal struggle for power and resources. But behind the scenes, the business community was engaged in its own anxious discussion about how the election and its aftermath might unfold. The summer of racial justice protests had sent a signal of business owners to potential for economically disrupting civil disorder. With tensions running high, there was a lot to concern about unrest around the election or a breakdown in our normal way we handle contentious elections, says Neil Bradley, the chamber executive vice president and chief policy officer. These worries had led the chamber to release a pre-election statement with the Business Roundtable, a Washington-based CEO's group, as well as associations of manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers calling for patience and confidence that votes were counted. Doesn't anybody else see a fucking problem that all these organizations and entities rely or come out of the bluest of blue fucking areas, D.C.? But Bradley wanted to send a broader, more bipartisan message. He reached out to Mr. P. through an intermediary both men declined to name agreeing that they're probably George Soros, uh, agreeing that their unlikely alliance would be powerful. They began to discuss a joint statement pledging their organization's shared commitment to a fair and peaceful election. Okay. Uh, they chose their words carefully and scheduled a statement to release for maximum impact. It was being finalized. Christian leaders signaled their interest in joining, further broadening its reach. The statement was released on Election Day under the names of Chamber CEO Thomas Donahue, AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka, and heads of the National Association of Evangelicals and the National African American Clergy Network, it is imperative that election officials be given the space and time to count every vote in accordance with applicable laws. It stated, we call on the media, the candidates, and the American people to exercise patience with the process. How is that acceptable? Uh, and trust in our system, even if it requires more time than usual. How is that acceptable? The groups added, although we may not always agree on design. How was fucking Florida able to row their shit right through in three seconds? How is that possible? Like, how is Florida able to just pop up, done, and in every single battleground state had to take 16 years to fucking solve their shit? How is that possible? How is that a thing? Why is that a thing? 
Although we may not always agree on desired outcomes up and down the ballot, we are unified in our call for the American democratic process to proceed without violence, intimidation, or any other tactic that makes us weaker as a nation. Unless the demonstration and the stuff doesn't go against our interest, and then we're going to text each other and protest on the 4th of November. Showing up, standing down. Election night began with many democratic despairing. Trump was winning ahead of pre-election polling, like he was crushing it, winning Florida, Ohio, and Texas easily, and keeping Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania too close to call. But then came the trucks. Uh, but Mr. P was unperturbed. When I spoke to him that night, the returns were exactly in line with his modeling. He had been warning for weeks that Trump voter turnout was surging, and the numbers dribbled out. He could tell that as long as the voters were counted, Trump would lose. As uh, long as the votes were counted, quote-unquote. Uh, the Liberal Alliance gathered for an 11 p.m. Zoom call. Hundreds joined. Many were freaking out. It was really important for me and the team uh, in that moment to help ground the people in what we had already known was true. The trucks were on their way, uh, says Angela Peoples, director of the Demo uh, Demo uh, Democracy Defense Coalition. Mr. P presented data to show the group that victory was in hand because we'd loaded enough fucking boxes on the trucks. Uh, while he was talking, Fox News surprised everyone by calling Arizona for Bud. The public awareness campaign had worked. Uh, TV anchors were bending over backwards to counsel caution and frame the vote count accurately. The question then became, how many fucking boxes do we load in trucks? The question then became, what do we do next? The conversation that followed was a difficult one, led by the activist charged with a protest strategy, because in a group of socialists, nobody wants to load the fucking boxes in the truck. We wanted to be mindful of when it was the right time to call for moving masses of people ballots uh, into the fucking voting booths street. People says... As much as they were eager to mount a show of strength, mobilizing immediately could backfire and put people at risk. Protests that devolved into Trump or, sorry, violent clashes would give Trump pretext to send in federal agents or troops as he, has, as he had over the summer. And rather than elevate Trump's complaints by continuing to fight him, the alliance wanted to send the message that people had spoken. Uh, so the word went out, stand down, stand back. Protect the results announced that it would not be activating the entire national mobilization. That's amazing that these fucktards in D.C. had a group of 400 organizations ready to fucking go out on the streets and riot, but because they basically knew that it was going to go in their favor because they had already pre-staged this for basically a year and done all their grassroots work and everything like that, they were confident that the results were going to change over overnight, you know. They were confident that was going to happen. They predicted it, quote-unquote, and they just told everybody, nah, fuck it, stand down. It's all good. So when the word went out, stand down, stand back. Protect the result announced it so it would not be activating an entire national mobilization network today, but remains ready to activate it. That's amazing. Uh, on Twitter, outraged progressives wondered what was going on. Why wasn't anyone trying to stop Trump's coup? Where were all the protests? Mr. Pease credits the activists for their restraint. That's fucking amazing. Uh, they had spent so much time getting ready to hit the streets on Wednesday, but they did it. He says Wednesday through Friday, there was not a single Antifa versus Proud Boys incident like everyone's expecting. Yeah, because the fucking left was starting to run away with it. Uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. And when that didn't materialize, I don't think the Trump's campaign had a backup plan. Yeah, they didn't. They fucking trusted the system. That's what they did. Uh, they're fucking stupid for doing it, apparently. Uh, activists, which is not going to matter, right? Because there's not going to be a red president for quite some time. Uh, activists reoriented until they fucking fixed the mailing system or the, the balloting system. Activists reoriented to protect the results protest towards the week of the celebration, counter their disinfo with our confidence and get ready to celebrate. Read the messaging guidance Shinnaker Osario presented on the Liberal Alliance on Friday. 
November 6th, declare and fortify our win, vibe, confident, forward-looking, unified, not passive, anxious. The voters, not the candidates, would be the protagonists of the story. The planned day of celebration happened to coincide with the election being called on November 7th. Activists dancing in the streets of Philadelphia blasted Beyonce over an attempted Trump campaign's press conference. The Trumpers' next uh, confab was scheduled in Four Seasons Hotel, landscaping outside the city center, which activists believe was not a coincidence. The people of Philadelphia own the streets of Philadelphia, crows the Working Families Party. That sounds Russian. Uh, we made them look like ridiculous by contrasting our joyous celebration of democracy with their clown show. Yes, sir, you are a clown. Uh, the votes had been counted. Trump had lost, but the battle wasn't over. This is getting long, but this is one of the most amazing articles I've ever written. When we come back, the five steps to victory, if you are still paying attention. And this might seem like the five stages of grief. Ugh. Five steps to victory. In Mr. P's presentations, winning the vote was the only the first step to winning the election. How's that possible? After that came winning the count, winning the certification, winning the electoral college, and winning the transition. Steps that are normally formalities, but he knew that Trump would see as opportunities of disruption. Nowhere would they be more evident than in Michigan, where Trump's pressure on local Republicans came perilously close to working, and their liberal and conservative pro-democracy forces joined to counter it. What does that fucking mean? It was around 10 p.m. on election night in Detroit when a flurry of texts lit up the phone of Art Reyes III. A busload of Republican election observers had arrived at the TCF Center where votes were being tallied. They were crowding the vote counting tables, refusing to wear masks, heckling and mostly uh, black workers. I don't know how they, that, that's fucking true, unless all the workers are mostly black. Uh, that's, a, that's a fucked up sentence. Uh, Reyes, a Flint native who leads We the People Michigan was a, was expecting us. Vermont's conservative groups had been sowing suspicions about urban vote fraud. The language was, they're going to steal the election. There will be fraud in Detroit long before any vote was cast. And then they have a photo of them posting uh, the blocks, uh, the, the iconic photo of them putting up the, the white papers on the door so nobody can see. Uh, we made his way to the arena and sent word to his network. Within 45 minutes, dozens of reinforcements had arrived. As they entered the arena to provide a counterweight to the GOP, observers inside Reyes took down their cell phone numbers and added them to the massive text chain. Racial justice activists from Detroit will breathe, uh, worked alongside suburban women from Femmes for Dems. It's all blue. Uh, local elected officials, Reyes left at 3 a.m. because he had to make sure the trucks got there, handing the text chain over to his disability activist. A disability activist. As they mapped out the steps in the election certification process, activists settled on a strategy of a foregrounding to the people's right to decide, demanding their voices be heard, and calling attention to the racial implications and disenfranchisement. Black Detroiters. They found the Wayne County Canvassing Board November 17th certification meeting on an on-message testimony. Despite a Trump tweet, the Republican board members uh, certified uh, Detroit votes. That was the two-to-two -two vote where the two Republican fucktards changed their certification based on promises for later on that were never materialized, and that's on them for being stupid. Uh, election boards were one pressure point, and there was GOP-controlled legislatures who Trump believed would declare the election void and appoint their own electors. And so the president 
uh, invited the GOP leaders of Michigan Legislature, House Speaker Lee Chatfield, and Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky to Washington on the 20th of November. It was a perilous moment. If Chatfield and Shirky agreed to do Trump's bidding, Republicans in other states might be similarly bullied. I was concerned things were going to get weird, says Jeff Timmer, a former Michigan GOP executive director turned anti-Trump activist. Norm Essen describes as the scariest moment of the entire election. The Democracy Defenders launched a full court press. Protect Democracy's local contacts researched uh, the lawmakers' personal and political motives. Issue 1 ran television ads in Lansing. The chambers Bradley kept close tabs on the process. Womp, the former Republican congressman. They're really hitting that hard, aren't they? The one Republican guy. Uh, called his former colleagues, uh, Mike Rogers, who wrote an op-ed for the Detroit newspaper urging officials to honor the will of the voters. Three former Michigan governors, Republicans John Engler and Rick Snyder and Democrat Jennifer Granholm, jointly called for Michigan's electoral votes to be cast free of pressure from the White House. Engler, a former head of Business Roundtable, made phone calls to influential donors and fellow GOP elder uh, statements who could press the lawmakers privately. As much as I don't agree with any of the shit that has said previously in this article, Trump should not be calling people into his office and shouldn't be calling the Ratlisberger guy from Georgia either. It just doesn't look good uh, and is shady as fuck. Uh, the pro-democracy forces were up against a Trumpified, as shady as fuck as all this fucking article is. Uh, the pro-democracy forces were up against a Trumpified Michigan GOP controlled by allies of Ronald McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chair, and Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary and member of the billionaire family of GOP donors. On a call with his team on November 18th, Bass invented that his side pressure was no match for what Trump could offer. Of course, oh, his side pressure. Oh, his pressure. So he's pressuring, so he's doing everything Trump is doing. So what the fuck are you complaining about? Uh, of course, he's going to try to offer them something, Bass recalls thinking head of the Space Force. Jesus, <laughs> ambassador or whoever. You can't compete without offering carrots. Excuse me. We need a stick. If Trump were to offer something in exchange for personal favor, that would likely constitute bribery. Bass and reason. Everything is fucking bribery for Trump, right? Uh, he phoned Richard Primus, a law professor at the University of Michigan, to see if Primus agreed and would make the argument publicly. Primus said he thought the meeting itself was inappropriate and got to work on an op-ed for the political warning that the state attorney general, which, that's fair, uh, a Democrat would have no choice but to investigate. Uh, when the piece posted on the 19th, the Attorney General's Communications Director tweeted it, Protect Democracy, uh, soon got word that the lawmakers planned to bring uh, lawyers to the meeting with Trump the next day. So, if they're fucking going to work that out, all the bullshit they've been doing is inappropriate, too. Fucking assholes. Uh, hypocrites. Reyes activists scanned flight schedules and flocked, Jesus Christ, flocked to the airports on both ends of the circus journey to D.C. to underscore that the lawmakers were being scrutinized. After the meeting, the pair announced they had pressed the president to deliver COVID relief for their constituents and informed them they saw no role in the election process. When they went for a drink at the Trump Hotel on Pittsburgh Avenue, a street uh, artist pre- Checked to their miss on the outside of the building, along with the world, the world is watching. That left one last step, the state camp, so humility and shame, right? Uh, there's no honor amongst thieves. That left one last step, the state canvassing board made up of two Democrats, this is what I was talking about earlier, I guess, and two Republicans. One Republican, a trumpet, Trumper, employed by the DeVos family, political nonprofit, was not expected to vote for certification. The other Republican on the board was a little-known lawyer named Aaron Van Langeveld, he sent no signals about what he planned to do, leaving everyone on edge. Then the meeting began. Reyes activists flooded the live stream and filled Twitter with their hashtag, uh, all eyes on Michigan, am I? Uh, board accustomed to, the, accustomed to the attentions of a single digit suddenly faced an audience of thousands. In hours of testimony, 
The activists emphasized their messages by respecting voters' wishes or ballots' wishes or trucks' wishes and affirming uh, democracy rather than scolding the officials. Van Langefeld quickly signaled he would follow precedent. The vote was 3-0 to certify. The other Republican abstained. After that, the dominoes fell, and they're fucking skipping the... Actually, it was a 2-2 vote at the beginning. <laughs> it's just going to bypass that whole fucking story, huh? Uh, after that, the dominoes fell. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and the rest of the state certified their electoral. Republican officials in Arizona and Georgia stood up to Trump's bullying, and the Electoral College voted on schedule uh, on the 14th of December. And then after the 14th of December, that's over. All the bullshit on the 6th uh, was egregious. How close we came. There was one last milestone in the pot horse's mind, January 6th, on the day Congress would meet to tally, and here comes the club. Uh, the Electoral count Clubs, uh, Trump summoned his support to the D.C. for a rally. Much to their surprise, the thousands who answered his call were met by virtually no counter-demonstrators to preserve safety and ensure that they couldn't be blamed for any mayhem. Yeah, well, fucking, what is it, the uh, agent provocateurs, they were definitely there. Uh, but, as I've said many, many times, if you hold a rally or you hold a protest, your side is responsible for everything that occurs, even the bad actors inside said group or crowd. Uh, but, 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 but. To preserve safety and ensure they couldn't be blamed for any mayhem, the activist left was strenuously discouraged counteractivity. Mr. Pretext of the morning of January 6th with cross fingers. Uh, Trump addressed the crowd that afternoon, peddling the lie that lawmakers are vice excuse me, lawmakers are vice president could reject states at electoral votes. He told them to go to the Capitol and fight like hell. Then he returned to well, that's a mischaracterization of the speech, and I probably should play that fucking speech. Uh, then he returned to the White House as they sacked the building, as lawmakers fled for their lives and his own supporters were shot and trampled. Trump praised the rioters as very special. That is an amazing fucking paragraph. <laughs> uh, go time. It was his final attack on democracy. Once again, it was his final attack on democracy. And once again, it failed. By standing down, the democracy campaigners outfoxed their foes. We won by the skin of our teeth, honestly, and that was an important point for the folks to sit with, says the Democracy Defense Coalition peoples. There is an impulse for some to say the voters decided and democracy won, but there's a mistake to think that the election cycle is a show of strength. For democracy, it shows how vulnerable democracy is. The members of the alliance to protect the election have gone to their separate ways. The Democracy Defense Coalition has been disbanded. Through their fight back, table lives on, protect democracy, and good government advocates have turned their attention on pressing reforms in Congress. Left-wing activists are pressuring the newly empowered Democrats to remember the voters who put them there, while civil rights groups are on guard against further attacks on the voting. Business leaders denounced the January 6th attack, and some say they will no longer donate to lawmakers who refuse to certify Biden's victory. Mr. P and his allies are still holding their Zoom strategy sessions, gauging voters' views and developing their messages, and Trump is in Florida facing a second impeachment, deprived of the Twitter and Facebook accounts he used to push the nation to a breaking point. Trump did, huh? Uh, as I was reporting this article in November or December, I heard different claims about who should get the credit for thwarting Trump's plot. Libels argued, that's amazing. Uh, so, so Trump cannot be the dumbest motherfucker in the world and also a Machiavellian fucking retard. Like he can't be a Mal Trump cannot be a Machiavellian retard. It's, it's not possible. So it's it's cakey too when it comes to him. He's the smartest, most devil. He's Ozymandias in uh, uh, what's that fucking movie, The Watchmen, uh, to to the left. I thought he was an idiot, right? 
Uh, liberals argued the role of the bottom-up people of power shouldn't be overlooked, particularly the contributions of people of color and local grassroots activists. Others stressed the heroism of GOP officials like Van Langeveld and Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who stood up to the Trump at considerable cost. The truth is that neither likely could have succeeded without the other. It's astounding how close we came, how fragile all this really is, says Temer, the former Michigan GOP executive director. It's like when Wiley Coyote runs off the cliff. If you don't look down, you don't fall. Our democracy only survives if we all believe and don't look down. Okay. Uh, democracy won then in the end. I don't think they did. Uh, we will, the will of the people prevailed. No, the will of D.C. prevailed. Uh, but it's crazy in retrospect that this is what it took to put an election in the United States of America or in Biden's hands. Holy shit. That is an amazing fucking article. It's amazing that they printed it. And it got me to fucking read the entire thing. 40 minutes, but I think that's the end of the podcast. There's no way that I'm not putting this at the tail end of everything that's going on. Fucking insane. Insanity. Enjoy your weekend, guys. Talk to you next week.